He'll long be remembered, and he'll be sorely missed. <sighs> Thank you, Reverend. No. Oh, come on! Oh. Rick was a great man. Really? And I will miss him so much. And I will not rest until I find his killer. What? His killer? It's hard for me to believe that he is gone. He's not gone. <laughs> I feel that I just saw him yesterday. Are you probably talking to yourself in a mirror? When I got the news, <laughs> I didn't even know how to make sense out of it. None of us understand. Why? Why? Why did you take it from us? You're clearly standing in front of us, Brick. Brick is dead! No, Brick's alive. Brick is dead! Look at him! He's not He's dead. He's not dead, Brick. You're not dead. No. You're Brick. Brick, it's you. He's dead! No. no. You are Brick. Touch yourself. I am Rick! Yes. yes! I'm alive! Yes! <laughs> of course! Well, happy Easter, everybody, and welcome to Hope. My name is Scott Rains. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you're joining us for worship as we celebrate the resurrection. Uh, it's the resurrection of Jesus that wins a victory for us over the worst thing in life. It's a victory over death. It's a victory that points us to eternal life. And so as we get started... I want to have us read a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians 15 uh, that point us to this victory. Wherever you are, even those of you who are worshiping with us in the reservoir right now in the overflow, let's all read this out loud together. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I wanted to start uh, with those verses, and I wanted to start with that clip from uh, Anchorman 2 for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I know there are people in this room, this is your favorite worship experience of the year. You, you cannot wait to show up. You're resurrection people. You know we're going to just point everybody to the power of God's love that wins this victory for us. And you know, you know, most of the year we're kind of stoic. We are uh, calm worshipers. But when we show up on Resurrection Sunday, you know we're going to go all spinal tap on you and turn it up to 11. And actually, a lot of people don't think we can do that at church. And I was watching a lot of you during that opening song. You were feeling it inside you like, I want to stand up and sing and clap along with this, but I don't know if I can do that at church. So permission granted. You can shout. You, look at Brick. Look how excited he was when he realized his death had been swallowed up in victory. He was mourning and sad and crying out in despair. And then a second later, the resurrection changed everything. Now he's, he's laughing. He's celebrating. He's shouting with joy. So let's do a little joyful shouting, shall we? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yeah, I was thinking we might have to do it two or three times to get you to say it loud enough. But man, it's like you've been waiting three years to be able to shout that out with your church family in your church building. It's so good to be here. And I want you to experience the joy and the hope of resurrection. That's one of the reasons I wanted to start with that clip. The second reason I wanted to start with that clip from Anchorman is I know there are a lot of people in this room 
who are skeptical of the resurrection. You are here simply because you're really nice people. And someone in your family or a close friend of yours invited you to come to church, invited you to come to an Easter worship service, and you didn't want to make things awkward, so you said yes to the invitation. But the truth is, you are here, and you don't believe it. The resurrection to you is ridiculous. To have a bunch of people who are not just believing, but they're living their lives as though Jesus is alive, that's as foolish to you as that clip that we just watched. And so I was thinking, how do I connect to people who have those kinds of questions or doubts, uh, people who are skeptic when it comes to the resurrection? The reality is, we built this church for people like you, because we are all people like you. We all have our own doubts, we have our own questions when it comes to faith, when it comes to what is God up to in this world and what is God up to in my life. There are times when we are all skeptical. And so I thought maybe the way to you know, kind of connect all of us and to help us know we're, we're really all in the same boat, we're really all on the same page here, probably a physics lesson would be the best thing for us as we get started. So uh, just really quickly, in quantum physics, there's something called uh, quantum tunneling. It's been around for, for decades, but it's a relatively new idea for me. And so I want you to watch this uh, video, about a 40-second video that will explain quantum tunneling to you perfectly. Take a look. Suppose you drop a ball down the side of a valley. Classical wisdom tells us that when the ball rolls up the hill on the other side, it can't go any higher than the height from which you dropped it. That's conservation of energy. Even if there's a nice big long slope to roll down on the far side of the mountain, the ball just can't get there, unless you give it enough energy to get over the barrier. But in quantum mechanics, things work a little differently. You see, the quantum world is probabilistic, so if you release a particle in a valley, chances are the next time you see it, it'll still be somewhere in that valley. But, if there's a nice big slope to roll down on the far side of the mountain, well, that's a place the particle would really like to be. And it turns out, there's also a small chance that's where you'll find it. So, so in the middle of that clip, the narrator said, the quantum world is probabilistic. And one of the early pioneers in, in this work is a guy named Heisenberg. If you watch the TV show Breaking Bad, you're familiar with Heisenberg. He comes up with the uncertainty principle, he says, when we're studying subatomic material, we cannot know with certainty both the position and the speed of a particle. We cannot know with certainty, but we can work with probabilities. I don't know, something about that, it feels a little bit like faith to me. And then at the end of that clip, they put this up on the screen, unlikely but possible. How great is that phrase? Unlikely but possible. If you are here and you are a skeptic, if you're here, you're skeptical of the resurrection, you're skeptical of faith, you're skeptical of wackadoodle church people shouting out, he is risen, I get it. But I wonder if instead of just kind of shutting down and thinking about other things for the, the rest of our time together, what if you allowed this to be your mindset? As we think about, as we walk through the Easter story, the resurrection story, what if when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, your mindset is unlikely, but possible? I was following a bunch of YouTube rabbit trails around quantum tunneling, uh, looking for videos, and I came across a video from about 10 years ago. Conan O'Brien, when he still had his TV show, was interviewing a guy named Brian Cox. And Brian Cox is a professor of particle physics at Manchester University over in uh, Great Britain. And they're having a conversation about quantum tunneling, but they don't call it quantum tunneling. They call it teleportation. Take a look. In our lifetime, what's more likely teleportation, 
or time travel? We can do, are, do, are, there, are both, are, are they possible? We can do both. We've already done teleportation. What on a mean? very You've small... You've done teleportation? Yeah, yeah, done. You missed it, didn't you see? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was distracted because the, the Twinkie's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and the royal couple's having a baby! There's been a prediction of quantum theory for decades, and we've done it with small particles, so single particles. So the question is, can, it, can you do it with bigger things? Don't know, is the answer. But it's been done with the smallest particles. Is it possible that in my lifetime, instead of driving home for a long time on the freeways of Los Angeles and really losing my temper several times and stopping the car in heavy traffic and getting out with a broom handle and hitting another car, that I will get into a cube and be like... Nothing will happen, I'm just doing this. And that I will be teleported into uh, to my home? I don't think you're going to have to do that. To do, but, uh, no, no, I want I, to. I like this. It's been done. For all we know, it's been done with single particles. So the leading scientific minds of our day are telling us teleportation is possible. They've already done it with small uh, particles. Will they be able to do it with larger entities like human beings? Unlikely, but possible. Uh, there are four different accounts, uh, perspectives of uh, Easter recorded in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We already heard uh, from Mark's Gospel what the beginning of that first Easter Sunday looked like very early in the morning. Here's what John writes is going on later that day. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They're afraid what just happened to Jesus going to happen to them. And so they make sure all the doors are locked and the windows are closed and they make sure nobody is coming in and out of that room unless everyone is aware of it. And look what John writes next. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. I mean, what do you do with a verse like this? And this isn't the only place in the Gospels we see this idea. It shows up in Luke, it shows up in the book of Acts. Part of what scripture teaches us, the resurrected body of Jesus can go through locked doors, go through walls. It can just appear randomly in places. And some of you are like, well, yeah, duh, Jesus is God. Of course, my Jesus can do anything. And some of you are just continuing to roll your eyes. Like, I got to believe in the virgin birth. I got to believe in a big fish that swallows a guy and spits him out three days later and he's still alive. Now I got to believe Jesus teleports. Here, here's the middle ground option for you. Unlikely but possible. Unlikely, but possible. And just kind of keep that in the back of your head as we look again at the story of the empty tomb. That, that's your physics lesson for the day. Now let's have a little bit of a history lesson. I want to talk a little bit about what's happening in our world today and build a bridge to what was going on in Jesus' day. Uh, this church, Lutheran Church of Hope, Every year, the 40 days leading up to uh, Easter, we have a, a mission project. This year, it's Hope for Ukraine. Because it was just a little over seven weeks ago, Russia invaded Ukraine, and we have all watched with horror and heartbreak and anger and fear uh, the devastation of war and millions of people being displaced. And so we didn't want to just sit and watch. We wanted to do something. So we've been praying and praying 
and praying. And we've also been asking you to consider uh, supporting one of our mission partners, an organization called Convey of Hope. Uh, they're on the ground in Poland helping uh, the displaced people, getting them the food, clothing, shelter, supplies that they need uh, so they can live. If you were here early enough to hear the Hope 360, uh, this congregation in just the last 40 days, over a million dollars has been given, and we're praising God for that. And you can still give to that uh, ongoing need if you are interested. Now, I want you to imagine something with me for a minute. I do not think this will happen. I certainly do not want this to happen, but just imagine. Imagine Russia wins. They conquer Ukraine and they don't stop. And they conquer Eastern Europe. And they conquer Western Europe and Northern Africa. And over the course of the next five to ten years, everything, all the land, all the territory from Great Britain to India is ruled by Vladimir Putin. And we just sit here on the other side of the world and we watch as this takes place, as this becomes the geopolitical reality for us. Imagine the emotions that you would be dealing with, that your family would be dealing with as that sort of thing was happening. You know, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have to imagine that. This was reality. It was called the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire covered that kind of territory, and it was uh, ruled over by a series of Caesars. And it's difficult for us to believe in our day and age because we're so, you know, modern and sophisticated, but the Roman Caesars believed they were divine. They believed they were the sons of the gods. They had been sent by the gods to create this reign of peace and prosperity. And how did the Caesars bring about peace and prosperity throughout the Roman Empire? Well, they used a whole lot of propaganda and fear tactics. Remember, they believed they were divine, so they taught their subjects to treat them like gods. They asked them to say things like, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is is Lord. They would send the army into a new territory to conquer it, and the Romans actually hoped that you would just surrender right away. You wouldn't fight back, and they gave you that option. They said, if you confess Caesar is Lord, then you get to live. Salvation is yours. If you confess Caesar is Lord, now you get to be part of the Roman Empire. Lucky you. And you get to start paying taxes to Caesar, and he's going to use those taxes to build bigger armies and better armies so Caesar can keep getting more and more territory, conquering more and more people. And every time they conquered a new land, they would send in these generals with these propaganda statements, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. Another piece of propaganda that they would use is the phrase, there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved than that beautiful and powerful name of Caesar, my Lord. Now, if you wanted to, you could say no. You could say, I don't believe Caesar is Lord. I'm not going to look to Caesar for my salvation. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to rebel. And if you did that, the Romans would make an example of you. The way they made an example of you was through crucifixion. The Romans did not invent crucifixion, but they perfected crucifixion. They thought, what is the most painful and slowest way that we can kill someone so that we can communicate to the people we conquer, this is what happens to you if you do not bend the knee to the empire, if you refuse to say Caesar is Lord. And sometimes to drive the point home, the Romans would do mass crucifixions. Probably heard of Spartacus. 
a slave who led a revolt about 70 years before Jesus was born. And uh, everyone was really excited. They thought maybe Spartacus is the savior. He's going to be the one that takes out the Roman Empire. And his rebellion gets squashed. And they kill Spartacus. And then they take 6,000 of the, the men in his army. They nail them to crosses. And they place the crosses along a 120-mile stretch of the Appian Way so that when you're going to school and when you're going to work, uh, when you're going to grandpa and grandma's for a holiday dinner, you get to see these people dying in agony on a cross as a reminder to you that Caesar is Lord. Uh, About three years ago, my wife, Wendy, and I got to be a part of a, a group of people that went to the Holy Land for a couple of weeks. If you've ever thought about uh, going on a trip to Israel, I highly recommend it. Completely worth it. We just, trip of a lifetime. One of the places we visited uh, was a village called Magdala on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's uh, pretty close to Capernaum, which is where Jesus' ministry was headquartered. One of the more recent archaeological discoveries in Magdala is a Jewish house of worship dating back to the time of Jesus, seated about uh, 200 people in that synagogue. And here's Stav, our tour guide, pointing out what are we looking at. This picture, he's standing next to a stone that's engraved. It's got parts of the temple engraved on it, images, imagery from the temple in Jerusalem. And Stav was explaining it's kind of a lectern. When they would gather for worship on the Sabbath day and someone would be the scripture reader, they would have these scrolls of the Old Testament prophets and they would unroll the scroll across that stone lectern, and that's where the Bible reader uh, would stand when they read from the scripture that day. One of the things we know from history, uh, the Romans crucified 3,000 people, a mass crucifixion one day in the village of Magdala, and they lined them along the main road running through that village. Just a reminder to the people of Israel that Caesar is Lord. Uh, Let me read for you how Mark's account of the Easter story begins. These are the first two verses of Mark chapter 16. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. Three women go to the tomb, and they're the ones that discover the tomb is empty, the stone's been rolled away. One of the women is Mary Magdalene. Magdalene's not really her last name as much as it is pointing us to where is she from. She's from this village of Magdala. My point is, Mary is very familiar with crucifixion. She's from a village where 3,000 people were crucified in one day. She knows what happens to somebody who gets nailed to a cross. They die. And she knows once you die, that's the end. It's over. All you can do is take that dead body off the cross, anoint it with oil, anoint it with burial spices, place the dead body in the tomb, and then you leave. You grieve, you mourn, because it is finished. 2,000 years ago, hardly anybody believed in the resurrection. And then Jesus happened. And in a relatively short amount of time, almost everybody believed in the resurrection. We were talking about particle physics and this phrase unlikely but possible that is also a truth when it comes to how does uh, sociology work how do societies work it is very unlikely that an entire society that the entire world would change their minds about something in a relatively short amount of time 
But something changed. Something happened after the crucifixion of Jesus. And it started three days after the crucifixion when a small group of people started to go around and tell everybody that they could that Jesus was alive. The tomb is empty. He is resurrected. We've seen his resurrected body. We've put our fingers through the nail holes in his hands. And that group of people, they started to do things and say things that the Romans did not like. They started to say things like, Jesus is Lord. They would gather together for worship on Sunday mornings because that pointed back to the Easter story, the resurrection story. They would write songs, they would sing songs that included lyrics like we see in Philippians chapter 2. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, not Caesar, is Lord. This was not patriotic language in the Roman Empire. The Romans did not like this. And so those followers of Jesus who believed in the resurrection, they got in trouble. They got arrested, they were standing in front of the authorities, and the authorities would ask them, why do you believe in this Jesus guy? Why do you believe in this resurrection? It's it's ridiculous. And you know what the Christians would say? They would say things like what we read in Acts chapter 4. It's on the screen, and again, wherever you are, let's read this out loud together. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. It's the beautiful and the powerful name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now, the people of the Roman Empire, a lot of them laughed at these believers in the resurrection because they noticed all they're doing is they're taking the slogans of the Roman Empire, they're taking the slogans of the Caesar, and now they're applying them to this Jesus movement. They would laugh. They would say, are you kidding me? You're still poor. You're still oppressed. Caesar is still on the throne. What has this Jesus guy done for you? And the followers of Jesus would say, come and see come and see. They'd invite them to their worship services. Come and see the way we love one another. They'd invite them into their community. Come and see the way we love our neighbor. Come and see the way we care for one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, serve one another, share with one another. And as these skeptical Romans watched what was happening in these believers in Jesus, these believers in the resurrection, the skeptical Romans could not argue. They said, Something is different about these people. They were not perfect, these early followers of Jesus, just like you and I are not perfect, just like this church is not perfect. But their belief in Jesus, their willingness to bow the knee to Jesus, to confess Jesus is Lord, to shape their life around the life of Jesus, it changed things. It changed individuals, it changed marriages, it changed families, it changed villages and cities, it changed the empire, it changed the laws of the empire. And it forced people to ask the question, which way is better? The way of violence and fear and oppression and war or the way of Jesus? The way of sacrificial love? Who is building a better world, Caesar or Jesus? Who is Lord, Caesar or Jesus? I wanted to give you that history lesson to try to help you see that This event, the resurrection of Jesus that took place almost 2,000 years ago, it has real-world implications. It changed things on this planet 2,000 years ago, and it can still change things on this planet today. Part of the implication of the resurrection, it means whatever you're going through, whatever hardship, whatever difficulty, whatever suffering, it is only temporary. It is not the end of your story. 
The resurrection means there's a power greater than the bully. There's a power greater than the brutal dictator. The resurrection is good news for everybody everywhere because the resurrection is all about a whole new kind of world right here, right now. As good, as great, as awesome, and as beautiful, as joy-filled as life can be, and it often is, as horrible, terrible, tragic, sad, painful as life can be, the resurrection of Jesus tells us life is worth the living just because he lives. The resurrection is hope for this life. It's hope for your life. And the resurrection is even bigger and better than that. The resurrection is hope for eternity. The resurrection is hope for your eternity. Uh, Thank you for laughing, those of you who did at that ridiculous clip at the beginning of the message. But the reality is there's nothing humorous, nothing funny about death when we're facing it in real life. Death is anguish. I was talking with my wife, Wendy, earlier this week, and uh, she was, you know, we were talking about Easter, and and she was referencing something she had read in this book, uh, Brene Brown's latest book, Atlas of the Heart. Brene Brown has a chapter called The Places We Go When We're Hurting. The places we go when we're hurting, one of the places we go is anguish. And uh, Brene Brown describes anguish as this overwhelming uh, mixture of grief and shock and disbelief and powerlessness. She says the element of powerlessness is what makes anguish so traumatic. That's worth talking about at Easter. Because you and I, we live under the illusion of control. We watch everything that's happening all around the world, the the devastation, the horror, the atrocities, and we see, we know about things that are happening here in our own backyard, but we have convinced ourselves it'll never happen to us. I've got enough power, I've got enough control, I can set up my life so that I and the people I love will never have to deal with suffering. In, In my years in ministry, there are two places in particular where people have to come face to face with the reality of our powerlessness, the hospital waiting room and the funeral home. When someone we love gets sick, gets a diagnosis, and they have to go in for treatment, they have to go in for a surgery, and we're sitting in the waiting room, we come face to face with the reality, some of us for the first time in our lives or the first time in a really, really long time, that the outcome of this situation is completely out of my control. Same thing happens when someone we love dies and we're in a funeral home putting together a service. And it's this surreal, almost out-of-body experience. Again, this realization comes flooding over us. I'm completely powerless to change anything about this situation. When people who live under the illusion of control have to face into the truth of our powerlessness, it's painful, excruciatingly painful. You know that word excruciate? It literally means out of the cross. How do we describe, what is the word that we can use, that we can create to describe a pain that is so great, the only thing I can compare it to is the pain of being nailed to a cross. Excruciating pain. And as I was thinking about this Easter message, I was thinking about the people I know in this congregation who have experienced that kind of pain, that kind of loss. 
And I was thinking about people I know in this congregation who are preparing for, they are facing, they know it's coming, that kind of pain and that kind of loss. And they are aware they are powerless to change the situation. What hope, what difference does the resurrection make when we're facing that kind of pain, that kind of anguish, when we're facing our death or the death of someone we love? The Bible points us to a God who makes his power available to powerless people. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 is one of those places. Let's read this out loud together. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Ephesians chapter 1 says something very similar. Next slide. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope for eternity because the resurrection tells us one day, one day, the power of God's love for you will raise you from death to life just like God did for Jesus. It was a little over a year ago, uh, March of 2021, I was officiating a funeral for a man named Christopher Powers. Uh, Christopher, his wife Anne, uh, their two daughters, Sophia and Ava, part of the Hope Ankeny family, and uh, Sophia's in middle school, part of the Power Life program here. Ava is in elementary school. She goes to the same school as my daughter, Saffron. Last year, uh, they were in the same uh, classroom. And so I met with Anne and Sophia and Ava, and they told me about their dad, shared memories. We picked out Bible verses to read at his service. We picked out songs to sing. And one of the things they told me was Christopher was born and raised in New Orleans. They told me, you can't pronounce it New Orleans. He would be very upset. It's New Orleans. He loved that city. He loved the culture surrounding that city. And so the song that the family chose for the end of his funeral service was When the Saints Go Marching In. Very familiar with the chorus of When the Saints Go Marching In. I guess I did not realize there were verses to that song. And the lyrics in those verses actually they paint a picture that helps us begin to think about and explore and imagine what might eternity be like. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That, that's where we started out today. But I like to remind people, every time I have the privilege, the absolute privilege, privilege of officiating at a funeral, I, I point out to people, in order for it to be good news, that Jesus takes away the sting of death. We have to be honest about the sting. We have to admit there's a sting, that death hurts. And if we just kind of skip over that, if we think what our faith really means is I don't ever have to grieve, I can just believe in the resurrection. I actually think if we skip right to Easter without Good Friday, we make the resurrection impotent. So I want you to sit with the sting of death for just a little bit. As you listen to this song, as you see some names appear on the screen that may or may not be familiar to you, maybe there'll be names that cause you to think of somebody else that you're familiar with. Just be asking yourself, what do you believe? Is Jesus Lord for you? Is eternity real 
for you. We are all traveling in the footsteps of those that come before, and we'll all be reunited on that new sunlit shore when the saints go marching in. When the saints go marching in, Lord, how I want to be in that number. When the saints go marching in, and when the sun refuses to shine. When the sun refuses to shine, oh, how I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in, when the saints go marching in.
stings. That's the truth, but it's not the whole truth. Death stings and death has been swallowed up in victory. That's the hope of Easter. But I know there are plenty of people in this room who are struggling to find the hope these days. Maybe it's a physical death of someone you love or or a death that you are facing that's causing you to wonder, can you, is it worth it to keep on hoping? Maybe it's one of a hundred or a thousand small deaths that we all face at different uh, ways, at different points in our life. A marriage that feels lifeless. A relationship with a son or a daughter or a family member that's been disconnected for years. An addiction you cannot overcome. A job you go to on Monday morning and it pays the bills, but you got no passion for it. A health issue, you just can't seem to get to the other side. I don't know what it is for you, but if we're honest, I'm guessing every one of us in this room, there's something going on in our lives that causes us to say it would take a miracle for things to change. It would take a miracle for things to get better. So here we are, Easter Sunday, at church. I just got to ask you, are you ready for a miracle? This church is filled with people who have miracle stories. And this church is filled with people who prayed and prayed and prayed for a miracle, and the miracle did not come. And do you know what we do at Lutheran Church of Hope? When we pray and God doesn't answer our prayer the way we want, in the timing that we want, you know what we do? We go outside and we take the word hope off of the church, off the side. No, we don't. We are still Lutheran Church of Hope if we get the miracle or not. We're going to still keep on praying for miracles. We're going to still keep on uh, praying for God to heal things. We're going to keep on crying out for God to do something, to act, to change things in our life and in this world because we are resurrection people. We believe Jesus is alive. We believe the tomb is empty. And as unlikely, as unlikely as it may be, as unlikely as it may feel at times in our lives, the resurrection means it's possible there is a God. And that God loves you. And no matter what you're going through, no matter how angry you might be, no matter how alone you might be, no matter how awful things might be, whatever it is, your challenge you're facing, obstacle you're trying to get over, the resurrection means you can keep on hoping. You can keep on believing. And that's an important mindset shift for us. 
There's a lot more hope than despair in this life. There's a lot more life than death in your story. And sometimes we forget that. And we need a reminder to just shift our mindset a little bit. A a year ago at Easter services, I played a clip from a TV show called Ted Lasso. I said, I hope you like it because you're probably going to be getting a lot of Ted Lasso clips and sermons uh, from here on out. So here's Ted Lasso asking, do you believe in miracles? So I've been hearing this phrase y'all got over here that I ain't too crazy about. (laughs) It's the hope that kills you. Y'all know that? I disagree, you know. I think it's the lack of hope that comes and gets you. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Now, where I'm from, we got a saying too. Yeah? Question, actually. Do you believe in miracles? Now, I don't need y'all to answer that question for me. But I do want you to answer that question for yourselves right now. Do you believe in miracles? And if you do, then I want you all to circle up with me right now. So what do you say, church? Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe it's worth it to keep on hoping, to keep on praying, to keep on asking and seeking and knocking? Do you believe in resurrection power? Do you believe that all things are possible with God? Let's stand up. It's Easter for crying out loud. Let's sing this song together. He is risen. Saturday was silent. Surely it was true. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? Disappointment, the sun is empty too. Since when has impossible ever stopped? This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the praise make a dead man walk again. Open the grave, I'm coming out. I'm gonna live, gonna live again This is the sound of dry bones rattling Pentecostal fire Stirring something new You're not gonna run out of miracles anytime soon Yeah.
Pentecostal fire in a Lutheran church, cats and dogs living together, it's Easter. Oh, now may the resurrected Christ give you this confident assurance. Your story is not a whole bunch of death with a little bit of life sprinkled in here and there. Your story is a whole bunch of life on this earth and life that never ends for all eternity. Thanks for celebrating that truth, that power, that hope of the resurrection with us today. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.